Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, we've got a really fun one planned. The Phoenix Suns are in the NBA Finals. I don't know that I can remember a more surprising NBA Finals participant over the course of the last at least 15 years of the NBA, maybe. So I got in someone who's been rooting for the Suns for quite a while now, uh, who is... I think just the absolute funniest fucking human being on the NBA internet. It's Sreeker Jasti. You guys know him as Sreaky Shooter over on Twitter. Sreaker, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Sam. Thank you for having me and for that very flattering intro. Uh, but uh, I'm doing well. Suns are, Suns are in the finals, like you just said. Um, and can't say I've had, uh, I've had a better time rooting for this phoenix suns over the last 15 years so i just kind of want to go into like you to start so people understand a little bit more about what exactly it is that you do on the internet you you just consistently make jokes you are the person that like i I guess like my first question would be how weird is it when you see something like you know going to hooters with the fellas going to the finals with the fellas take off in the way that it did because i feel like you are the person that like found those Devin Booker tweets from when he was like a teenager and started to popularize them. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 great. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's wonderful that those caught on because I thought, for me, I personally just found those amusing. I happened to sort of, you know, found find at least a few. Um, there were more than a few. I think he had about 20 to 30 tweets, Devin Booker did, uh, back when he was 15 or 16 years old about Hooters, Applebee's, Buffalo Wild Wings. You know, you name an American chain restaurant, Devin Booker has <laughs> tweeted about going there with, with the fellas, with pops, with some group or individual. Uh, and I just found it really amusing. And uh, I think... It was during the bubble last year when, um, coincidentally, when the Suns really started to sort of uh, come together for the first time in a long time, that Suns Twitter sort of came together to to, uh, to rally around those going to Hooters with the fellas tweets. Um, and that kind of became sort of the uh, the motto, at least from for me, uh, throughout most of this season as well, and, and caught on with a bunch of Suns fans who kind of took it and ran with it. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, it's 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 amusing. It's funny. Uh, the players seem to like it. Devin Booker has alluded to it a couple times himself. The team tweets um, memes about it. Uh, so it's all it's all in good fun. It's just it's like the lowest stakes fun humanly possible. You know what I mean? Like I feel like that's kind of the key to a good internet thing like yeah you can do the weird like or like the crazy high-end like meme that you know makes fun of people and oftentimes that works because people like dunking on other people like today the internet's main character is rachel nichols right but (laughs) also the things that i tend to get the most amusement and enjoyment out of are the stupid things even in like movies like i don't know if you saw barb and star go to vista del mar (laughs) 
Like, there are just so many little stupid things in that movie that make me laugh, despite it being this ridiculous high concept, like, almost sci-fi, like, comedy movie. Um, (laughs) What, I guess, like, when you're looking at creating, or not even creating, just, like, making jokes on the internet, like, what are you looking for? Because consistently, you are someone that goes viral for making just the dumbest, funniest jokes on the internet. Yeah, I mean, you you kind of hit on a big key part of it, which is which is dumb, right? I mean, like it's 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 stupid things. It's like it's I, I think it's finding amusement in uh, the stupidity of of life. I mean, sports yeah. sports are great. Don't get me wrong, sports are wonderful. I'm a huge huge NBA fan uh, and, and a huge Suns fan, and I I think the thing that I enjoy about NBA Twitter, or at least how I approach NBA Twitter, um, especially over the years, how I've uh, approached it, is it's sports are meant to be fun. Uh, and if you're not having fun watching them, talking about them, um, engaging with them, then you're doing it wrong. And my way of having fun is to obviously watch them, discuss them, soak in uh, you know, analysis from people who uh, are actually good at analyzing <laughs> the sport like you um, but my role in it is to is to make is to make jokes uh, I I just enjoy the silliness of things um, and if, if we go back to the example uh, why I find let's <laughs> I'm thinking Hooters tonight with the fellas um, a funny sort of meme to keep calling back to is it's just in my mind it's 15 year old Devin Booker going to Hooters with the fellas and that has become sort of uh, the, as I was saying the motto for this Suns team this year in my eyes because really it's, it's poetic in a way Hooters is anything you want it to be the fellas is whoever you want it to be uh, <laughs> and everyone should be always trying to go to Hooters with their fellas and uh, I just you know I admire it and I think it's the stupidity of a, of a silly little tweet like that um, blowing up and come and, and me sort of driving attention to it over and over again because I just find it amusing and I think there's other things um, across other teams other players uh, sometimes I do I will say I, I I do get a little carried away with the, with the slanderous tweets <laughs> I will I will be the first to admit that but um, I try to sort of fall back on you know at the end of the day I like watching the sport I like watching all the players that I tweet jokes about um, and and as a Suns fan, if whoever the Suns are playing, I might have to uh, tweet some slander every now and then. Um, so sorry in advance to the Bucks and to Giannis for the next two weeks, but the game's the game. Yeah, like it's funny. Like I saw that you tweeted shit posting works. Like after uh, the Suns tweeted, we're thinking NBA Finals with the fellows. Like it, it just does. Like it's funny, and I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head there, where it's like you want to find the right combination of dumb low stakes but also easily identifiable right like you said like hooters can be anywhere you know the fellas can be just your boys or your friends or your girlfriends like whatever it is and it it just it kind of works and yeah like you obviously like you made a lot of jokes about patrick beverly this week which was (laughs) fantastic because like patrick beverly talking about like steph curry had the last five years the next five years are mine like what the fuck is pat beverly patrick beverly (laughs) hilarious that just ages better every season 
<laughs> it really does. I mean, again, though, that, that's like a dumb, like, absurdity of the situation thing. And it's just so enjoyable to go down the road of. Do you have a favorite, like, funniest thing that you can remember doing that, like, made you personally laugh the hardest? Ooh, uh, good question. I mean, recency bias aside with the whole digging up Devin Booker's old tweets things, um, I I would say, uh, yeah, I think the stupidest thing that I think I was the most surprised by, to be honest, because there's been surprising things that have happened from random tweets that I that I put out there is um, uh, is the. Um, <laughs> the fake Instagram comment from LeBron a couple of years ago. Uh, oh God, yeah, I remember that about it. Yeah. 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 And this was this was before AD got traded when all the rumors were flying about how the Lakers wanted him, LeBron wanted him, it was clutch, etc. Uh AD was put in the trade request. And it was so first of all, I, I had created a fake Venmo payment from LeBron to Anthony Davis of fifty thousand dollars. Obviously <laughs> fake. Like no one in their right mind would could possibly ever think that that was nothing, anything but a like a fake image <laughs> created as an obvious stupid joke. And as a reply to that tweet, I posted another fake sort of, uh, oh, definitely over the top and obviously fake, but not quite as obvious, I guess, as a fake Venmo payment from LeBron James to Anthony Davis. It was an Instagram comment um, in like classic LeBron internet speak with his unnecessary hashtags and over the top you know, emojis and et cetera, just alluding to Anthony Davis, uh, wanting Anthony Davis to come to the Lakers. And that blew up. And, you know, I came back uh, a few hours later to someone like taking a video of ESPN and my tw- and that tweet or sorry, that image being on ESPN. And I was like, oh, no, am I am I contributing to fake news? <laughs> I uh, I had a little bit of an introspective moment there, but um, I, I came away from that being my takeaway from, uh, from that was essentially I think uh, there they needed to be a little more checks and balances before that was put on air. Um, so yeah, I think that was probably the stupidest thing that made me laugh uh, a lot in the moment and 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 a lot since. No, it's definitely funny that that happened. Like, it's actually really hilarious that that happened. Just like having been on the inside of like having those aggregation conversations, right? Like, mm-hmm. having to decide like, wait, like let let's go to the Instagram page. Like, let's make sure this is real. Like, we have to we have to like check to see if Anthony Davis uh, or if LeBron James like actually sent Anthony Davis fifty thousand dollar Venmo request, right? Like, <laughs> it's 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 honestly like baffling to me that somehow that got across the line but you know me too me too man what can you do uh okay so let's talk about the suns i I mean do you have anything else you want to talk about with uh meme culture on the internet because it's uh you've you've really become the proprietor of it on nba twitter in my opinion Uh, well, I appreciate that, but um, I, not not too much to add. I, I will say, in, in past years, I, I I think I spent a lot more time uh, making memes, making jokes about NBA at large, other teams, because the Suns were never in the playoffs. Uh, this year, my attention and most of my time on Twitter has been hyper focused on the Phoenix Suns for obvious reasons. Um, I've had about, I guess, ten years worth of jokes to sort of of playoff jokes to focus on uh, within <laughs> within Suns Twitter. Um, so I haven't, I haven't, you know, spent as much time, uh, 
making jokes, saying stupid shit about about teams that aren't the Phoenix Suns. But um, hey, I, I'm glad to finally have a year after many years of practice on Twitter to to actually uh, spend some spend some of this really stupid energy on on the suns well and you get to have fun this year and that's the most important thing because the suns are good and i guess my first kind of question about the suns is did you expect any of this this year like not even just forget the finals right just how good did you actually expect the suns to be this year because i thought that there was like i was excited about the suns because i think chris paul is really good and was really underrated coming into this year but like i don't think i expected second in the west and like win 50 games in a shortened season and everything like that like so where were your expectations coming into the year i honestly don't know anyone that expected that that uh, that's probably some folks um on uh, you know, Suns Twitter who, who will say is they expected this, but and I'm sure they did. But me, no, uh, I was definitely not um, one of them. I think before the season, uh, my hope was that they would get to the four seed to sort of get uh, home court advantage in the playoffs. That was my optimistic sort of expectation. My realistic expectation was somewhere between five to seven, and I was just hoping they got above seven so they could avoid the play-in. That was where my head was at before the season began, and really through the first sort of month of the season. Um, and then everything sort of started getting better and better from there, uh, February onwards. And then I think everyone was surprised, but as a Suns fan, I was like, oh, wow, I have to really raise my expectations. But at the same time, remind myself what my expectations were from the, at the beginning of the season to just to tell myself to not take this season for granted well at what point did you figure out okay this is real like was it around like february where you were just like oh my god like this team might actually be able to like win a playoff series or two yeah there were it's it's weird there were two moments to me um there was one moment which is uh, arguably probably maybe the lowest point of the season so they were they fell to eight and eight after uh i believe uh losses against the back-to-back losses against the nuggets um Either in late, I think in late January, they uh, they they sort of bottomed out at eight and eight, a five hundred record. Uh, this was when Devin Booker got hurt in the first Nuggets overtime game, and then in the and then they lost the next very next night against the Nuggets again, also in overtime. Uh, so that was a tough stretch, but they took the Denver Nuggets, who at the time had Jamal Murray, um, uh, to back to back overtime games, and uh, one of them was without Devin Booker. There were some you know a bunch of yeah, tough things happening in the game and I came away from those games cautiously optimistic because there were signals there that you know Chris Paul was figuring out how to you know work the offense Devin Booker and Chris Paul were starting to gel there, there were definitely signals there and then the other point where it totally set in was I I believe they had three uh, three games stretch where they beat um, the Celtics the uh, Sixers and the Bucks um and that's when I started to realize, oh man, yeah, this this team could actually make some noise more more than what I was hoping for. And uh, it was it wasn't just that they had beat those teams; it was more the way they were playing again. I think it really took a month and a half for Booker and Chris Paul to sort of figure out how to gel and how to play with each other. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't always pretty. The first, especially in de- uh, December and January it was a lot of you know your turn, my turn. It didn't look very clean. Defense was good from day one, but the offense was very mediocre. And then it started to click uh, in February and and after the All Star break. I think um, they they were just 
running on all cylinders and it was beautiful to watch over the years just how frustrating has the devin booker conversation been for you because like it took me a while to come around on devin booker like i I thought devin booker the first like three years maybe not the first three maybe like the first two and a half years i was like i don't really get it like i think he's a great scorer but like the shooting numbers aren't as good as what you would think and then I don't know like you just kind of you kind of watch him and he was terrible defensively and you kind of worried about how that would translate at the next level and then like right around I think it was probably the middle of year three I was like oh no this guy's actually like a total stud and is a monster but like it took like me a while to figure that out and I think that like it's taken other people even longer because they just don't watch the Suns because the Suns were bad for so many years so just like how frustrating has that conversation around Booker been over the course of uh, his career in Phoenix so far yeah I think you exactly are right it was year three when it started getting frustrating because years three uh, and four, and even to a large extent last year, uh, his year five, uh, was when I think a lot of the takes from sort of the uh, people who were still hanging on to, you know, he's not that good, seemed very dated. They seemed very based on observations and uh, conclusions made early in his career that hadn't evolved at as much as David Booker himself had evolved. And that was what, what was the most frustrating part to me. Um, because I, I, I agree with you. I think year one, uh, you know, he was a rookie, didn't play a whole lot the first half of the year. When he did play, when the Suns season was basically over, you could tell that, you know, there was something there beyond what he was just drafted to be, what he was drafted out of Kentucky for, which was just, you know, a shooter. Uh, there, there was definitely more to his game than was promised coming into the draft. Year two was when he kind of was handed the keys uh, and was, quote-unquote, an inefficient scorer, a looter and riot, whatever you want to call these things, or, or whatever. I think he... I've heard it all. I think, like, you've probably also heard it all. Uh, but year two, I would say it was the one year where I think a lot of those conclusions were made. And a lot of them were probably fair to a large extent because, like you said, he was not an efficient scorer. He was putting up numbers. That was the one year where I think, like, good stats, bad team guy um, was the most applicable. It was also the year where I believe he scored 70 points as a 20-year-old. And, you know, that really added fuel to the fire on both sides, right? Like, his fans will say, oh, man, this guy scored 70. Like, how could he not be an incredible NBA player? And then there's people on the other side saying he scored 70 in a loss. Good stats, bad team. Again. And... And just everyone sort of dug their heels in a little more. Next year, though, year three, like you were just saying, is when his efficiency improved. His playmaking actually improved. Uh, yeah. Maybe not statistically significantly, but if you watched it, like it was obvious that he took a huge leap on the playmaking front. And that's yeah. when that me, was, I that, personally... That was the big one for me, was the passing. Exactly. Like, you could see him like making plays for his teammates. You could see him like actually running pick and rolls and like seeing the way the defenders were reacting to him and seeing the way he was reacting to like help defenders. Like That was the that was the part where I was like, oh shit, like I was just wrong. This guy's a stud. Exactly. And that's also because I, I, I was a Devin Booker fan. You know, I'm a Suns fan, so I was rooting for the guy. But I think year two, I was like, oh man, he, there's definitely more to his game. He's being asked to do a lot as a 20 year old in an incredibly unstable environment with terrible, uh, with a terrible supporting cast. Um, and given all the context, I cut him some leeway. But I also, I, even I was like, okay, he needs to be more efficient if he has if he evolves as a player. But again, he's twenty. Give him time. 
next year um, was when I I also came away from from the third year being like yeah this guy this guy's a stud and people who don't think he is are just either not watching which I honestly don't blame people who didn't watch the 2017-18 Phoenix Suns I I congratulations you used your time in a much better way I admire that but I just it was frustrating when people would still sort of like dig in their heels and and ride with these conclusions despite sort of not acknowledging the context around around Booker and how he had sort of evolved. So it, it, it's nice to see him get some praise. Um, uh, finally, it's, I think it's been overdue, but obviously, I think being in the playoffs, having success in the playoffs, is necessary for any young player to sort of get to that level. Uh, nationally um even with you know uh casual fans but especially with uh the media to a large extent so i think it's overdue and i'm glad he's, he's getting the praise that he's getting now i i, I guess that like my next kind of question here is it's gonna sound like silly because chris paul is the guy who finished fifth in the mvp race this year but like the reason i wouldn't have voted chris paul top five in the mvp race is like i kind of think there's a case that Devin Booker was better than he was this year to be honest uh, you could I think Chris Paul was certainly more important to Phoenix just in terms of organizing the defense and holding DeAndre Ayton accountable and you know X Y and Z all of the leadership things that Chris Paul brings to the table yep. that are important but just in terms of like playing basketball on the court I think that Devin Booker was probably a little bit better than chris paul this year and that that it kind of sticks in my brain a little bit i I mean like uh, how how weird has that conversation been as a suns fan because it does feel like chris paul has gotten all of the publicity because he's the new piece that has come in and in many ways transformed what phoenix was doing but also like devin's probably been a little bit better than he was like throughout the course of the season so like how hard is that for you to kind of like navigate in your head when trying to be like oh well like you know who do you just have like multiple best players on the team that you just like full on trust at any moment is that kind of what that does yeah i mean don't get 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 me wrong like I, i love chris paul and like you were saying it's so hard to quantify what a guy like chris paul does uh off the court or in practices, what he does to Aiton. Aiton talks about it himself now. It's yeah. like he literally said Chris Paul's the best thing that's, that's happened to his career. Um, and it's really hard to quantify that. Um, but you're right. I, I, I mean, again, I agree with you. I think it's. I think you can make a case for either guy being better on the court this year. I don't think... I didn't have Chris Paul in my top five of, uh, in MVP voting precisely for the same reasons. I think he did get maybe a little too much credit. It is a very easy and convenient... Uh, narrative. Place to... Yeah, exactly. Narrative and a place to attribute credit because the Suns were bad before Chris Paul and now they are very good with Chris Paul. There's a bunch of other things going on there. Um, and I think Devin Booker is one of those things. I, I think... The way I look at it is, in a lot of games this season, I think Booker was the reason that they stayed in the games, why they were competitive and maybe even had leads throughout most of the game. And Chris Paul chose his his moments very carefully. Chris Paul sort of picked his spots. Um, And you've seen it. Like, Chris Paul sort of waits till the right time to be aggressive. And sometimes that resulted in some games where, like, Chris Paul, I think, could have been more aggressive, and and he wasn't, And whereas Devin Booker was. And I think he was better from a lot of... Uh, big parts of the game and it's really hard to sort of figure out who is better overall on aggregate in a bi- in a binary way every game um but i think that's why they worked so well together uh yeah. to be honest and um 
I think Booker is sort of uh, the engine that, uh, of the Suns, uh, where it in t- in terms of you know not dictating not in terms of dictating the offense and things like that, but sort of like keeping them running. Whereas Chris Paul is the closer um, and the guy that sort of puts them over the top. Well, and it's part of the reason I was such a big fan of the move, like when they acquired him last year. It's just that they complement each other really well because they both can shoot off the dribble, they both can shoot off the catch. Chris Paul's an unbelievable defender, incredibly smart team defender. Devin, I'm, I think Devin has improved over the years defensively, but like the level he's shown this year defensively is clearly better than what he's ever shown in the past. And I think in part totally. it is because Chris Paul has shown and provided that level of accountability necessary for the team. So I, I really liked the idea of these two combining together whenever uh the Suns acquired them in part because I thought Chris Paul would foster the development of Devin Booker and would foster the development of DeAndre Ayton and would work really well with Mikael Bridges. But like, I don't know, I, I didn't see this shit coming. Like, it's it's, it's it's wild that they're sitting here in the goddamn NBA Finals and we're going to take a quick commercial break and then I want to I want to run through uh, some some fun moments uh, in the in the recent Suns past here. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So When I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. 
And we're back. Uh, at, at what point was the lowest point in this like recent Suns like tenure uh, over the last let's say let, let's say the Robert Sarver post uh, post seven seconds or less era? What was the low point for you? Oh man, the the there a couple come to mind. One, uh, I think just emotionally, <laughs> the Steve Nash trade to LA um, was was one of the first low points. Uh, this was what summer this was exactly nine years ago this was july 4th uh 2012 um steve nash uh asked for a trade to la and was granted a trade to la at the lakers and this was you know i was a nine years younger as a suns fan and maybe not emotionally equipped to deal with my favorite player of all time the reason why i even started watching basketball and got into the suns and got in the nba at large Steve Nash uh, being traded to the team I sort of despised the most, the the Lakers. And I was like, this signals sort of the absolute end of the era that the Suns were like clinging on to for the last two years uh, from 2010 to 2012, which was sort of the post-Amari years with Steve Nash, where they were a very mediocre team, about 500 for two years, didn't make the playoffs, uh, and they finally hit the sort of reset button there. So I think emotionally seeing, I think Steve Nash traded away and the complete end to the set, that entire era that I, that caught me as a basketball fan um, was one. The real low point, though, in terms of just basketball was, I think, the 2017-18 season, um, the very beginning of that season where, uh, you know, the Suns were coming off uh, a really bad record um, in 2016-17. Uh, but there was a little bit of optimism, you know, Devin Booker's third year. We saw, you know, him sort of, this was coming off the 70 point game season. Yeah, there was some excitement around Booker. Uh, then, then, then there was also Earl Watson, who was the coach starting oh that God. season. Uh, and this was a coach, mind you, that the Suns um, just hired. They, they, he was the interim coach to end the previous season, and they did not interview any other candidates, and they just converted him to full-time. Um, because apparently some players on an in- incredibly shitty team said they liked him. And so Brian McDonough said, why not? Let's keep this guy. Anyway, they started that season, and I think that was a season where the first game, literally the first regular season game, uh, they lost by 48 points um, <laughs> to the Blazers. And that, that was the fastest I've ever seen an NBA season, a team's NBA season start and end. <laughs> they lost by 48 points in game one. They lost uh, a close game in, in game two, uh, I believe, to the, to the Clippers. Um, sorry, to the Lakers. And then in game three, they lost by like 46 <laughs> oh <my laughs> to the Clippers. God. So in the first three games, they went 0-3 by combined... And two of those uh, losses came by almost 50 points each. Absolutely. Inc- and then the I don't want to be here tweet from Eric Bledsoe. That was what really prompted that. And so then he was traded away. The Earl Watson era ended. That that beginning of that season was when I, I it was so difficult to continue being a Suns fan. But... Uh, thank God for Devin Booker. Yeah, I think that the two moments that stuck out for me is like a person who is not a fan of the Phoenix Suns of just so like I think the moments that I look at are not the ones where they are like in the most despair and the team was bad, right? They're like the funny moments, right? The first one is definitely the goat. 
the Eric Bledsoe, I don't want to be here, right? The goats, <laughs> honestly, the goats is really funny. I did not even think of that. Like, that didn't pop in my mind immediately, but that's a really good one, too. Um, I don't even totally remember that story. It was who someone put goats in Sarver's office, or did Sarver put goats in McDonough's office? Which one was it? Sar- Sarver put goats in McDonough's office, and they yeah. took shit. Um, <laughs> what a fucking, what a fucking owner. Um... <laughs> There was the I don't want to be here tweet from Eric Bledsoe that still gets brought up because it's a fucking hilarious tweet. Um, and it's it's incredibly relevant now because it's Suns Bucks in the finals. So it's it's the it's the you know, I'm wondering if Eric Bledsoe is saying I do want to be here for once. Oh, I wish I was there. And then the second one is for some reason it sticks in my mind when Josh Jackson like no showed at that Fry's grocery oh store God. event and like was Instagramming Instagram storying himself just like out at dinner with one of his boys like the whole time while all <laughs> these fans are like waiting in line and then James Jones has to show up and like buy the fans beer. I don't know why that one sticks out in my mind as a real low point, but it definitely is a hilarious low point of the Phoenix Suns over the last decade for me that that is and i think that was uh that was shortly before the josh jackson era and phoenix ended maybe maybe that's why james uh james jones was like ah man this guy i'm done with this guy i'm not buying beer because of him anymore (laughs) trade him to memphis immediately um no, that one. Well, that one was funny, and it just—that's uh, why he's executive of the year now, James Jones, because he's versatile. He goes out and does every, everything that's needed, including buying beers for fans. Was there a point in the James Jones era where you were worried? Because I, I, I did. Uh, I, I was pretty worried. I've been pretty critical of James Jones at times. Uh, I would say the 2019 draft, where he drafted the guy that was like 27th on my board in Cam Johnson at 11, and just seemed to totally mismanage the thing and meanwhile like he 100% nailed the pick like he was definitely right and then on top of it there is uh, just like these little moves he's made over the years where I was like oh yeah this guy might not be good and then you hear stories about oh yeah their front office like it doesn't really do as much scouting or like in-depth evaluation of guys is what you'd expect doesn't matter he's he's just really good like he very clearly has this understanding of the way that players work together on the court that maybe you could only get from having played at that level and having specifically been a role player and having to fit within a specific you know construct of a team uh for the many 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 years that he did for instance playing with lebron james and you know being an nba champion in miami and playing in cleveland and everything so i I mean at what point did you uh, did you finally understand hey james jones is good at this maybe i should trust him yeah it's it's a great question i think initially you're right and i I will preface this by saying I am absolutely not a draft guy by any means. So anything I thought about the Cam Johnson pick at the time was because of the things I had read from people like you and other people who actually do the research, right? Oh, no, I was totally fucking wrong. Like, it was great. (laughs) Yeah, and so, I mean, mean, everyone was. I mean, I think everyone had him lower, so I, I get it. But, like... Uh, I think when the Cam Johnson pick was made, uh, I, you know, everyone was saying, you know, that was too high. So maybe there was a, I think I, my takeaway in that moment was, uh, maybe he could have gotten better value by like, maybe he could have gotten something else into drafting someone much higher. Well, uh, obviously and, and, like, I think he was right. Well, and it was coming off of the heels of trading six for TJ Warren. 
Sorry, well, no, the TJ Warren one was even worse, but it was trading six and six for 11 in Dario Saric, right? And then they did the TJ Warren deal for, I think that, I think they got nothing in that deal and traded TJ Warren in 32, right? For just like cap relief. Is that the move? Yeah, and in, and in the grand scheme of things, uh, yeah, so you're right. And I, w- I do want to point out these individual trades. So they traded, he traded TJ Warren and uh, second round, yeah, I think in the 30s, uh, to the Pacers for cap space, basically for cap relief. Um, the, he traded uh, Josh Jackson away, uh, but, he had, but he attached DeAnthony Melton to him, to the Grizzlies, yeah. Yeah, which in hindsight um, was... That honest, it was probably not a good move because DeAnthony Melton is really good, and got Javon Carter in return. Um, and then, and then this trade, right? Uh, the sixth pick uh, for the eleventh pick, which was Cam Johnson and Dario Saric, which now looks incredible. Um, the, the sixth pick was Jarrett Culver, yep. uh, and and, by, and then the even way, the TJ like, Warren trade. Like I'll, I'll tell you too, like if I remember correctly. Please, for the love of God, aggregators, do not aggregate this. Um, I believe that, like, Robert Sarver, and I don't know if this is public or not. Like, it might already be out there. I think that, like, Sarver had Jarrett Culver, like, to, like, his house. Like, his house has, like, a court in it, I guess. And, like, had him do, like, a personal workout, like, in his house. So it was like, oh, hey, we we need to... um, The thought going into the draft was like, oh, yeah, like, they really like Jarrett Culver. They're just going to take him. And then they moved down when they have Culver sitting right there. It was just, like, a weird thing that happened. I didn't know that. that, that, That's pretty funny. And, I I mean, I do know that Sarver has, uh, you know, players come over to his house... As far as I've heard, players that are on the Suns, but that's funny that he had a he had a prospect um, workout there. I guess I it think, wasn't a great workout. I think that I think that's what happened. Like, don't again, aggregators, don't don't do this. Don't don't play this game, please. <laughs> uh, they clearly got it right. Like, they clearly made the right move, and James Jones did the right thing. But they did, and 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 my my whole thing with that is like absolutely. I think individually, you can pin you can at the individual moves um, as not great asset management. Uh, for example, the TJ yeah. Warren for cap space that was used to sign Ricky Rubio because he knew after a season with basically no point guards, they needed some competency at the point guard position. You could argue that they maybe even overpaid 17 million a year for Rubio, um, but that's what the TJ Warren trade was freed up to do. Uh, it was two things. It was one. They needed the money to sign a point guard, and two to free up time for Mikael Bridges in his second year. Um, the uh, the Josh Jackson trade, yeah, trading to Anthony Melton, I think was a mistake. But Josh Jackson wasn't working out. James Jones came in with sort of a clear directive, or at least a clear strategy of. I think he himself has said he just wanted to raise the floor of the team right. um, because he, after several years with McDonough of trying to sort of you know hit on draft picks that missed, it just bought him out. Uh, they continued bottoming out, and it, that needed to end at some point. And I think he he knew that, and individually might have not gotten the most value out of every single transaction. But I think his overall strategy worked. It did raise the floor. They were a better team last season, a team that competed even if they were under five hundred, a team that was clearly playing better, more competent basketball. And I think this season would absolutely not have been possible. In the off season he had, Chris Paul wanted to come there. But none of that would have been possible if they didn't raise the floor. So I think the overall strategy, even if you can nitpick at the individual moves, was absolutely right. And I think even some of the individual moves have aged really well in hindsight. 
Well, and like the craziest thing is the move that, you know, stands out above them all, which is taking DeAndre Ayton over Luka Doncic. And by the way, like I had DeAndre Ayton number one, like I was wrong about that too. And if you look at it, there's almost no way that the Phoenix Suns are in the NBA finals right now. And if they have drafted Luka Doncic at number one, I don't like you could say like the Luka and Devin Booker combination would have led to something great. And, you know, they had Mikael Bridges as well. They could have figured out how to do something with the center position. But I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think I'm convinced that if they would have made the right choice, by the way, and taken Luka Doncic, that they're in the same place they are right now. And it almost just goes to show, like, how weird the butterfly effect of, like, transactions can be in the NBA, where, like, James Jones can have missed on moving DeAnthony Melton, can have missed on, you know, moving TJ Warren for cap space to sign Ricky Rubio. But because he kind of left himself outs at the end of the day, and that out ended up being going to get Chris Paul, the Suns can still take an enormous leap whenever they need to, uh, and whenever he thinks the team is ready for them to take a leap. It's a weird... It's why, like, whenever I've started talking about transactions in the NBA, I'm always so hesitant now to say, like, a transaction is a disaster, if only because of these weird things that happen within these butterfly effects such as you know the team taking deandre ayton at number one over luka Doncic, then indirectly leading to them going out and trading basically nothing for chris paul and creating a complete team that now goes to the nba finals it's just like a weird it's hard the nba is hard <laughs> to to build a team with it is it is and i think uh it's very hard, and I think what he has been able to at least do is try to try to make a team competitive. I think it's so hard. Uh, I think the mistake there's there's two big things that I think that Ryan McDonough made a lot of individual moves that were mistakes, but I think strategically and why I think he was wrong for the job. I think he uh, was sort of he kept he he he. I, I don't think he's had it end in mind when in sort of like the tanking and the in the yeah. sun's version of the process i don't think he really knew what was the time to sort of pull the plug on that and the other thing that he that i think he just never got right was uh viewing players as players and not as assets yeah. um i think he was i think he messed this up quite often and i think this left this is why so many players trashed the suns after they got traded away um he was terrible at sort of player relationships and management so i think that is one area where james jones being james jones helps he was a player he knows how to deal with players he knows how to talk to players players love him and i think um him and monty williams i think obviously have done a huge turnaround in terms of this uh just the the way players sort of view view that team uh and i think that honestly has has gone a long way in addition to just the overall moves that he's that he's made let's talk about the monty williams of it all too to uh, how great has it been just to not only have a coach that can do you know a lot of you know intelligent things make a lot of intelligent adjustments on the court but it's also just like a good person like i feel like that is always, that's always really nice as a fan to like root for people that are good yeah. people uh monty williams is one of the people that even like talking to people inside the nba like never hear a bad word about like it, it it's impossible to hear a bad word about monty williams he's just a terrific human being and 
I mean, like, I don't know if you remember the Pelicans version of Monty Williams, but like, it it was not this. I will say that. No. He struggled with rotations. I think he didn't really make crazy high level adjustments. You look at what he's done with the Suns, it's almost like a 180. It's that he truly learned from his time in New Orleans, learned, you know, what he needed to improve at and got better at it. And really has become one of the great coaches in the NBA. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And, and to touch on, you know, the yeah, the the off the court side of things, he's from everything I've read, everything I've heard, he's just seems like an incredible guy and I think you see it in how players talk about him and how they just react to things he says and he I it, they could, they would all sort of like go to war with that guy and I think it's it's hard to build that level of trust um in the, in the NBA as a coach, and he's he's done it fairly quickly um, in Phoenix, and he and obviously all the off court tragedies he's had and how he talks about it, he's just a very he just seems like a very thoughtful, incredible person. And you're right, it is it is nice to have a guy like that um, sort of as the coach of a team you root for. It definitely helps on the court. Uh, it's uh, I was I'm not gonna lie, I was a little concerned when when. The Suns hired him. I think it was a good hire because he was in demand. Uh, you know, he had some successful years as, a, as an assistant coach. But one of my worries was that when he was uh, with the Hornets, the off, like you were saying, it wasn't a very flexible offense. It wasn't. I was I was worried that his offense wouldn't adapt to today's NBA because I had seen him and those teams and uh, the limited amount of success they had and the sort of rigidness of, of those teams with Chris Paul. Um, and and those sort of concerns went away to a large extent last year because they were just a fun... They, they ran a fun offense even if they weren't uh, that great. And it was very different immediately from, from the Monty Williams as a head coach that we've seen in the past. And I was, I was very relieved to... To see that, and I thought he did a really good job with the roster he had last year, and then this year it's just been another level, um, and it's it's been cool to see, uh, and I think it's an important reminder that you know players improve, uh, and I think oftentimes we sort of look at coaches as not improving, and some coaches don't, and we've seen that in the playoffs, um, but I think like Monty's a guy that you watch him coach and you watch the different style of offenses that he's that he's had over his career and it's like wow yeah this guy has evolved it's awesome to see well it's so funny like we can move to talk about the actual final series now like Mike Budenholzer has clearly improved as a coach but like uh, he's still not really making the right adjustments or like making a ton of different moves he's just kind of continuing to go to the well and a lot of the time the well is good enough uh, for the teams that they've played like the Nets without James Harden and Kyrie Irving and the Atlanta Hawks which were a fantastic story and were playing well but they just weren't quite as talented as this Milwaukee Bucks team is uh, even without Giannis I I, kind of am a little bit worried if I'm a Milwaukee's Bucks, Bucks fan that like in terms of making adjustments and being able to see what's happening on the court like on the fly this has potential to be like a pretty real mismatch in terms of like in-game, uh, on-the-fly coaching. Yeah, I, I think it'll be really interesting to watch. I mean, Budenholzer has gotten a lot of crap. I mean, some of it rightfully so for not making adjustments. Um, but they're in the finals. I mean, you're right. Like, maybe he could have done more, but they're in the finals. They made it this far. Uh, I'm super curious to see. I think the, the one thing I noticed... Um, 
in the Clippers series with the Suns is Ty Lue is in many ways the opposite of Mike Budenholzer. He's sort of the adjustments king. And he, I thought, coached another good series uh, against the Suns. Um, but I think, like, Monty Williams also engaged him in that chess match, you know? Like, he also made adjustments after game four, um, after game three and after game four, uh, that I think allowed the Suns to sort of um, end that series. And I think he... And I, and I have trust in him to do that. And I'm curious if Boonholzer is willing to sort of play that same level of chess in, in the finals. Uh, what do you... I have a question for you. What do you make of the, that, the switch... They increase switching without Giannis that they seem to sort of throw at the Hawks towards the end of that series. It's weird. Like, I don't know that it had as much to do with Giannis not being there as it did with Trey Young not being healthy. You know what I mean? Like, because whenever, like, if you're going to be able to get Brooke Lopez out on an island against Trey Young, like, that's going to end in fucking disaster every time. Like, I haven't really tweeted about this game at all. Um, like, I was out to brunch and then rewatched the game, um, like, you know, earlier this morning, basically. And oh, I-, I thought the Hawks made a mistake playing Trey Young in that game a lot of what worked for them when trey was out was just going big and like trying to make plays that way and then being switchable and slowing the game down defensively the other thing is that trey young is more affected by foot injuries lower body injuries etc than other great guards in my opinion or other star level players in the nba because of how important being able to change directions and change pace is for him uh we saw the same thing with james harden in the playoffs with the nets like harden's presence out there because harden is bigger and stronger and can deal with post defenders was probably a net positive for brooklyn because he wasn't like just giving away points defensively. Also, because Brooklyn chose not to attack him over and over and over, or uh, Milwaukee, I'm sorry, chose not to attack him over and over and over again for reasons beyond my comprehension. Um, Mo- the problem with Trey is Trey presents such an easy target defensively for other teams to go and attack that if he can't overcome that with offense, he is kind of a negative on the court. Mm-hmm. When he's healthy, he absolutely can overcome it with offense. Uh, he is one of the most exciting, best players in the NBA offensively. And what we saw from him in the playoffs, I think, is going to continue into the future with him. Um, that that wasn't a joke. That was who he is. But when he's not healthy, I think he is actually a liability out there. And I think that that is more why we were able to see Milwaukee switch. I, I think that they're going to have to switch against the Suns on some level because a lot of what the Suns run are these like Spain pick and roll actions where it makes a lot more sense to try and switch them as opposed to trying to play drop coverage. Guys like Chris Paul and Devin Booker fucking eat drop coverage for breakfast. Like it's too easy for them because they're such good pull-up shooters and because they just know how to read that backline defense so well. So, I mean, look, if I was the Bucks. I, I would be planning on switching a lot of actions in this series. The the other thing about it, though, is that offensively for the Bucks, I think a big part of what makes me think the Bucks, if Giannis is healthy and if Giannis can play, what why I like the Bucks on court matchup a little bit better than I like the Suns is because I don't think the Suns have a great matchup for Giannis. I would imagine that what the Suns are going to do 
is they're going to have DeAndre play as like the help side second defender, and then they're going to put Jay Crowder on Giannis. Uh, you've watched their games earlier this season. Is that what they did? Yeah. So they they they've. Uh they threw a little bit of Crowder in the two games. I'm trying to remember. There was one game where they played Aiton straight up on Giannis a lot mm-hmm. more um, to some success. I think Giannis still had uh, a couple of big games. I think in the first game he scored 48 points and then missed uh, missed the game winner. Um, but I think most of that success came not on Aiton. It came on other defenders. Uh, the Suns threw a bunch of guys at him, and I think Aiton was, I think, by far the most successful um, as a, as a straight-up defender. But I agree with you. I think what they will do is, at least at the beginning of the series, we'll start with Jay Crowder straight up on Giannis and, and Aiton as the, as the help guy. I would not be surprised if they threw a healthy amount of Aiton on Giannis um, and, and Crowder elsewhere, or if he's on the bench, then Aiton on Giannis. Um, as well, pretty early in the series. Well, I think that's what they should do. Like, I think they should just put Aiton on Giannis and then have Jay guard Brooke because Brooke isn't going to, like, take dudes into the post, right? Brooke wants to step away and shoot threes and then occasionally, like, go grab... Not when Giannis is playing. Or, yeah. Um, yeah, certainly when Giannis is there, Giannis is going to be the guy that's on the block. So if I was the, the Suns, I would put Aiton on him, but I don't know that that's what they will do, right? I just don't know that they'll want to put that kind of strain on DeAndre uh, to potentially get in foul trouble because... Giannis is very good at drawing fouls and the main significant weakness of the Suns team if there is one is depth in the front court uh, if yep. if anyone has been able like I, I, it's why I kind of thought the Nuggets I thought the Suns were going to win that series like in five or six but I thought the Nuggets one shot was to try and get Aiton in foul trouble right um, exactly and then have Jokic just kind of run against Saric and Frank Kaminsky and whoever the hell else they're going to put out there at center uh, whenever DeAndre is off the court. Um, Against Giannis, if Giannis is able to get DeAndre in foul trouble, I think that Milwaukee can cause some real issues for what Phoenix wants to do. But like we're at the point now with DeAndre that it's easier said than done getting that dude in foul trouble like he's just really fucking good defensively now there's not another way to say it he just knows how to defend without fouling and how to use his length and how to use his strength in the paint without giving up too many free throws and without taking himself off the court yeah it's it's I think, honestly, an underrated skill. Maybe it's not underrated anymore. Everyone's noticing it now. But with DA, I think he he's just really good at playing playing up straight and not coming down on, on shooters. Uh, and, you know, he averages just about a block a game, which for if you just look at it on paper for a guy his size doesn't is not great. But the reason, I think, for that is because he... He doesn't come down. He doesn't try to actively go out there and block the shot. He tries to stop the defender from getting a good look. And I think that helps. That works out in his favor in the playoffs, um, as we've seen, in terms of staying out of foul trouble. And I think uh, hopefully he's able to do that against Giannis as well. But, yeah, I think you make a good point that I think for for, for foul trouble reasons, they probably won't go to DA straight up on Giannis uh, unless it's late in the game. Yeah, until they have to, basically. Um, Yeah. I'm trying to decide, too, like, is there a world where we just see Milwaukee go small 
at some point. I, I don't think they will because if they do, DeAndre has a chance to just like dominate the glass because that's the other thing DeAndre's gotten great at is dominating the glass. He's always been an awesome rebounder, but uh, the leap he's taken in these playoffs, particularly as one of the elite rebounders in the NBA. I mean, for God's sakes, the guy is averaging uh, like 12 rebounds in the midst of a NBA Finals run. That that kind of play is, is playing small against DeAndre Ayton, as we've seen throughout the playoffs, has led to teams just kind of giving up easy buckets at the rim and giving up a ton of offensive rebounds. Yeah, I, I I agree. I don't. I would be pretty surprised if the Bucks tried going small um, yeah. at any point in the series. I think they. If the Clippers weren't able to have a ton of success with it uh, against against Aiton, I, I I don't think the Bucks will be able to. Yeah, so you know it's funny. Like going into this conversation, like I I, had a, I have a group text where we talk about like gambling odds and stuff. I, I kind of thought that because the Bucks I think are right now at like plus two fifteen or so, and if you think Giannis is going to play in the first round uh, or in the first game, like that's an incredible number to get Milwaukee at. I think, but the more I talk about it with you, the more I'm like, oh. Phoenix actually does like create real problems for what Milwaukee wants to do. Plus just has like genuine scheme breakers in Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Like the, the, the thing that I always try to talk about is that in the playoffs, your scheme is going to get broken. It's just going to happen. Like defensively, you're going to have to do something different at some point because NBA players, especially at the highest levels when you're in the NBA finals, are too fucking good, right? Like, they just will break whatever you want to do. Yeah. How do you adjust to that at the end of the day? And, uh, I mean, there haven't been better scheme breakers in this playoffs than Devin Booker and Chris Paul. And that will require Mike Budenholzer to adjust. And that, uh, as Roger Sherman (laughs) from The Ringer said, Mike Budenholzer always looks like he just bet an amount of money he can't afford to lose on a casino game he doesn't fully understand. And... That is the best description I think I've ever seen of someone in my life. <laughs> I, I cannot wait to see side-by-side comparisons of Mike Boonholzer's face with Monty Williams on the sideline. They're the polar opposites in like with in-game reactions. Um, it'll be a super interesting series. I think that's that's my big question as well is even in the Hawks series, and we, we've seen it every round, well, maybe not the first round, but against the Nets and against the Hawks, the Bucks offense often when the scheme does break down the offense just comes down to a lot of uh isolation um which it, every team does in the playoffs to some extent but I th- and then but i think middleton was absolutely huge for them in this last series and i'm super super curious to watch the the middleton versus mikhail bridges uh matchup because i think yeah. on paper you know that's that's a perfect sort of guy for bridges to sort of uh stay locked into for for an entire game uh but middleton's on obviously quite a run right now and it's, it's a, he's an all-star and it's it's hard to slow down so um i'm, I'm super curious how, how that goes when when the game sort of falls apart for the Bucks, uh, and they start going to a lot of sort of middleton jumpers or Giannis top of key isos um I, I think this has to be a series where hopefully Giannis is healthy and and plays the entire series. But and if so, I think this has to be a series where Giannis just dominates because I don't see a lot of a ton of other offensive success for them. Well, I, I wonder, like, kind of thinking about this now, does 
does Milwaukee try to go super big or something like that? Do they try and play like Giannis, Bobby Portis, and Brooke Lopez at some point, like all together? Just because with Drew and Chris Middleton, um, just because I, I worry that having P.J. Tucker out there, yeah, he'll probably... I'm guessing PJ will guard Devin Booker. Like that, that almost has to maybe, maybe they'll have Middleton on Devin Booker. Um, I'm, I'm assuming they'll play Drew on Chris Paul as much as they can. But like the thing about PJ Tucker is that it gives someone for Devin Booker to just like kind of relax on defense with and not yeah. have to expend any energy whatsoever on defense. <sighs> you almost might have to go big so that like, you almost have to slide Devin to one of their guards and like force him to defend, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe. I, 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 so I don't think you're right. I don't think this is a big PJ Tucker series um, for, for the reason you just stated. I, I think they might even do Drew Holiday. I think Drew Holiday is honestly the type of defender that I think we, he brings a lot of the things Patrick Beverly just brought. Um, for uh, for a Devin Booker defender, and I think in the second series he actually, uh, sorry, in the second game this season that they played, Holiday actually did a really good job on Booker, yeah. um, and and spent a lot of his time on on Booker. Uh, so I I think they might even I think they might do Holiday on Booker and Middleton on Chris Paul, um, which would probably be the way I would go about it if I were the Bucks. Um, which which begs the question, like, what is P.J. Tucker really doing in this series? Um, so, I don't know. He's going to have to maybe... guard McHale then and, like, stop McHale from running, like, any secondary ball screen action. But, like, but then if, if McHale's just going to sit in the corner and shoot or sit on the wing and shoot, like, you're not getting anything out of P.J. Tucker. Then. Yeah. And I think this – and if, if he's being guarded by P.J. Tucker, he has to sort of become – the sort of he has to keep shooting those mid-range pull-ups that he's started to sort of do every now and then. We haven't really had a Mikhail Bridges breakout series quite yet. We've had Aiton and got a couple series, honestly. But I think um, depending on who's sort of guarding him full time, this might need to be one where Bridges has to be a little more aggressive. Yeah, you might be right about the way that they line up here. It really probably is going to be Drew and Chris dealing with Devin yeah. and Chris Paul, and I don't know, man, like that. Again, like that now just seems like expending a lot of defensive energy from guys that you desperately need on offense, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh. this, this is the thing, though, that like this is what Phoenix presents for you because they have so many good two-way players and they have so many different shot creators and they have size that is also switchable. Like this is what – these are the problems that Phoenix creates for you and why they're so good. Yeah, Agreed. And I think, yeah, there's so many matchups that are intriguing in this. I think um, Middleton is sort of like a future best case for for offensively for Mikhail Bridges. Uh, Those two guys going at it, Drew Holiday Booker going at it, Uh, Chris Paul versus the drop um, that they traditionally play, Uh, Giannis Aiton. I I think this will be an incredible finals. All right, give me uh, give me one one final thing here before I have you give me a prediction. Uh where are we at on Suns and 4 guy? Like, <laughs> is, is this guy been milkshake ducked yet? Like are, are we are we still allowed to like be happy and make jokes about him? Not to my knowledge. I think yeah, I haven't heard anything. Um I think I think we can continue sort of being happy. I mean I'm not it's not my prediction for the series, but I think <laughs> it's more of a it's more, <laughs> it's more of an energy. Suns and 4 is more of an energy and a, and a, and a principle than it is a, a true prediction. Well, we we have Suns in four guy. We have Brandon Jennings going Bucks in six. Like it's it, it's just an absolute. Uh 
it's a colossal matchup of memes here. Exactly, and that's why I think uh, my actual prediction is is a matchup of the two, which is Suns and Six. Okay, what what makes you say Suns in Six? One because it's a con- Six is always a convenient and lazy sort of uh, prediction to make. I've done it pretty much every series so far, um, <laughs> and it's been true two out of three times. Uh, but but also I think because um, I do think the Suns are a better team. I think. You know, the betting odds will hear me that. I think there's a question about Giannis's health, but I think, assuming even that Giannis plays the whole series, I, I do think the Suns, the way they're playing right now, and the questions I have about the Bucks' ability to sort of uh, adjust um, when, when things aren't working for them uh, on either side of the floor, I think, I, and, and the drop that they'll sort of play, at least at least at the beginning of the series against Chris Paul and Devin Booker, I think, I think in my opinion, I think, like, the Suns should be favored to win, uh, but I do think the Bucks will get a couple games uh, because of the Bucks, and they have Giannis, who, I, if he's healthy, is the best player in the series. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the most likely outcome here is the Suns win. I'm going to say they win the first two games because the first two games are in the Valley. They go 3-1 up, and I think they might win in five. The more I think about this series, the more I'm like, Oh wait, this is actually like a significant problem for the Bucks, uh, especially if Giannis isn't healthy. I, I think that I think I'm even going to go Suns in five, which I feel bad about because I've uh, I have a plus nine hundred Milwaukee title bet that I've talked about quite a bit. <laughs> uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to gonna have to consider uh, you know. Uh, hedging that bet a little bit here coming up. I don't know if I'm even going to get a great number on hedging it, unfortunately. But, man, uh, the matchup, the more I think about it and the more having talked it through with you, the more I kind of think it's actually a problem for Milwaukee. And uh, what a turnaround this would be. Like, can, can you remember a crazier turnaround, uh, let's say, in American sport than the Phoenix Suns winning the NBA title if it is to happen here in, like, two weeks? Honestly, no. And, I mean, I, I, there's probably, you know, some team out there some story out there that oh we're 100 gonna get called out about this like this is they're oh, yeah, people yeah, yeah. Dumb we'll get reminded it's gonna happen yeah all right yeah that's fine but until then i will live in ignorance i i don't think so and it's it's crazy it's not just the whole decade of just misery that the suns fans have to deal with and the suns have you know put up and just unleashed into the sports world literally two seasons ago two years ago 2019 they were they ended that year 19 and 63 worst record in the nba it was the josh jackson Two years ago you know forgetting a grocery store appointment year yeah and now they're in the nba finals it's just a completely wild turnaround and uh it's it's incredible i i, I mean I, I sort of i tweet this out after every series win 19 and 63 in 2019 NBA Finals now, or Western Conference Finals uh, a couple weeks ago. It's it's crazy. It's it's a wild. Sometimes it's it's still a little hard to believe that they're they're doing this. But um and and you know people will say good fortune, injuries, all this stuff. Yeah, I mean every team that's won a championship has had good fortune. The Suns have had good fortune. I'm not going to deny that. But the Suns have had terrible fortune in the past in my entire life of being a Suns fan. So I'm also not going to take any of this for granted. The following players played for the Phoenix Suns in 2019. Emmanuel Terry. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I, I know 
<laughs> most NBA players, right? Like, I, if not all NBA players, I don't know who Emmanuel Terry is. Like, I, I do not know. Uh, Jawan Evans, George King, Eric Moreland, Isaac or Isaiah Cannon, Quincy Acey, Ray Spaulding, and one Jimmer Fredette played. Oh man, for the Phoenix Suns in the year of our Lord 2019. Uh, to go from that to NBA Finals in two years is kind of inconceivable to me. Uh, It's really just unbelievable in every regard. And uh, God, shout out the Suns. It's unbelievable. It is. It is. It's wild. The fun fact about so that season you were just talking about, you were listing off players. The final game of that season, that what the season that they finished 19 and 63, two years ago, exactly. Jamal Crawford was a Phoenix Sun and scored 51 points. In the final game of oh, his career. Oh, that was that game. <laughs> that was also the final game of Dirk Nowitzki's career, where he scored, uh, I believe, 30 um, and, and in a win. And that was a wild... So, Jamal Crawford... So, the final game of the Sun season two years ago was Jamal Crawford dropping 51 points in a loss. The final game of the Phoenix Suns season now, two years later, could be lifting an NBA championship trophy. Just... Wild. I remember I was at Hoop Summit the year that Jamal Crawford dropped 50, and everyone was like laughing about Jamal Crawford dropping 50 because, you know, Hoop Summit's obviously in Portland and Jamal's from the Pacific Northwest. Um, it, it was just like one of those things where everyone was like, oh my God, like this happened. Like, how did how did this happen? This is unbelievable. It's a super cool story, but well, what in the world did we just see, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> And Jamal Crawford, Jamal Crawford going from dropping 50, or the Suns going from Jamal Crawford dropping 51 to where they are now is unbelievable. Um, Even look at the previous game. uh, That was a, that was the starting lineup of the Phoenix Suns in their second to last game of the 2019 season. Mikael Bridges, shout out Mikael, right? Uh, Dragon Bender, Josh Jackson, Elliot Kobo, and Ray Spaulding. That was, (laughs) That was two years ago. That was two years ago. And this team is now in the NBA Finals. Shout out to the Phoenix Suns. Streaker, tell the people uh, where they can find you on the internet. You can find me uh, on my Twitter at Shooter. S-R-E-K-Y-S-H-O-O-T-E-R. Go follow Streaker. I swear to God, you will not laugh harder during the NBA Finals. I... I so like are you someone who has like stuff like queued up and like ready to go not usually i mean every every once in a while uh i'm I'm not a big draft guy every once in a while i'll I'll think of something that i'm like oh not now i'll save it for later but um it's most of it is is sort of real time in the moment um because that's how i use twitter it's always real time in the moment yeah like i I, it's funny like everyone like yells at me because i have all these typos like in my tweets regularly and i'm like yeah like i I don't know man like i don't care (laughs) like it's yeah i do too too uh, it's it's fine, guys. Um, go follow Sariker. I swear to God, you will not laugh harder. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We'll be back next week. We'll do some draft stuff. We'll do some other stuff. We'll talk about the finals, I guess. Might talk about some teams that are eliminated and some offseason previews. But until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.